16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. There are some pretty fundamental things that we would do well to give attention to from time to time as Christians. Confession is one of them. It's fundamental in scripture that those who live in this world will confess their sin when they recognize it in their lives. And yet sometimes we can forget as Christians that this is part of our experience as Christians as well. So I wanna speak to you this evening for a few minutes about the need to confess sin to God and to others. Just starting with a couple of scriptures. This is something that has always been done in God's design and God's system. In Leviticus 16 verse 20, the priest was told that he was supposed to lay his hands on the head of a scapegoat and he was to confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. And every time I read that, I wonder how long must that have taken? to confess the sins of the people of Israel. But the, the priest would put his hand on this goat and he would confess and speak about these sins. And then they were to take the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. It's about confession. God, this is what we've done wrong. This is what we've done to violate your will. And we're sending this off away from ourselves. It's a picture of Jesus. Again, in Nehemiah 1 verses six and seven, Nehemiah speaks about, as he prays, the, the confession of the sins of the people of Israel. As he prays about the wall being torn down around Jerusalem, one of the things that he needed and felt like he needed to do was to remind himself and to talk to God about what the people had done to find themselves in the state in which they were. Again, in Psalm 32, verse five, the psalmist says it three times in one verse. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, the psalmist says. Confession, the word itself in Greek is homo logeo. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. -O -O -E and it literally means, those two words, homo, same, logeo, to speak or word. And so the word literally means to speak the same. It means to say the same thing about our sin that God and others already know. That's what confession is. It's to say the same thing about my sin that God knows and that others know. And the psalmist is saying, I acknowledged, I did not cover I will confess my sin to the Lord. James 5.16 that was read just a moment ago by Brother Seth commands us as Christians, watch this, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer, the righteous person has great power as it is working. We are to confess our sins to one another. Again, to say the same thing about our sin that others already know. Now, the word confess kind of has a bad rap these days because of abuses that have taken place. 
We think about, for example, our Roman Catholic friends and the way that they encourage people to come and to confess to a priest, you know, go into the closet and, and, and tell him and, and then ask for absolution of your sins. That's not biblical. It's not right. But a lot of people have that in their mind. Or you might think about, for example, the Spanish Inquisition, when people were accused of being heretics and they were forced to confess sometimes in the, in the, in, in the endurance of torture. Or sometimes in more recent days, more recent years, many cults, they work by manipulating their members to confess their sins and then they turn that and they manipulate that against the people that have confessed their sins. We know what you've done and we're gonna use that against you to try to control your behavior. And so when we start talking about this doctrine of confession, you know, that might be in people's minds. I want you to know though, the scripture tells us that we are supposed to speak the same thing about our sin to others that God already knows and that they already know. And even in James 5, 16, we don't have to confess our sins to everybody to fulfill this passage. It has to do with talking about what's going on in our lives and especially when we've hurt someone else with our sin, to confess that what we've done is wrong and we ask for their forgiveness and pray together. One more passage before we get into the text of the, the, the uh, outline of the lesson. This is one of my favorite passages anywhere in the New Testament on the subject of confession. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10, and it says, Christians, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. To my shame, I will admit that there have been times in my life where I wasn't thinking very much about sin in my own life. There have been periods in my life where I've not really confessed much of anything. But the Bible is saying here that if we live our lives and we're not examining ourselves, we're not thinking about what's going on in our lives and what may be amiss in our lives where God's will is concerned. If we say we have no sin, we are liars and the truth is not in us. And then it says in verse nine, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. God wants us to invest in and to participate in the discipline of confessing our sin. Let's talk about that in just a little bit more detail this evening. In the first place, when we talk about confession, we're gonna talk first of all about what confession is not. What is it not? Because there are some misconceptions, I've already addressed a couple of those, but when it comes to us as New Testament Christians especially, what is confession not? Number one, it is not something that God needs from us. He does not need us to come clean so that he will know more about us than he already does. You see, God has eyes who can, that can see everything. He has total information awareness. The eyes of the Lord are to and fro, keeping watch on the evil and the good, it says in Proverbs 15, verse three. And all things are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. Hebrews chapter four and verse 13. God sees and he knows what's wrong in our lives. And so confession is not something that God needs from us, like we're helping him somehow. Confession is something, brothers and sisters and friends, that we need. I wanna tell you something. Confession will change your life. It will change your attitude and approach towards sin. If we get serious about saying to God what he already knows about our sin, there is transforming grace in this particular discipline. More about that in just a moment. Confession, secondly, is not just the indiscriminate airing of sin. 
We live in what has been called, rightly, a confessional culture. We live in a culture where people will post all kinds of intimate details about their lives on Facebook and Twitter and whatever else the, 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 the social media du jour is. And we will say things that sometimes are completely inappropriate and not for public airing. And confession is not that. Biblical confession is saying the same thing that God and others already know. We need to be careful. We're not just indiscriminately saying, you know, I did this and I did this and I did this. And in our postmodern society, being authentic is something that is really valued. And sometimes people by confessing their personal faults and their personal sins in an inappropriate way, they feel like they're being authentic with others. That is not biblical confession. Biblical confession is saying things that God and others already know. Third, confession is not a nonspecific blanket admission. If all of your prayers when it comes to sin just basically boil down to, God, forgive me of my sins, get more specific. If I've done something wrong, if I've done something to offend you, if I've done something amiss, please forgive me, get more specific. There needs to be self-examination that takes place. What's happening in my life and what needs to be different in my life. And I need to talk to God about that plainly, specifically. It's not just a forgive me of all my unforgiven sins kind of thing. And then fourth, confession is not mere damage control. When I was in college, I took a class in rhetoric and we learned about how politicians, when they get into trouble, they evade trouble. And one of the favorite ways to do damage control is to just come right out for politicians. I mean, they've got some options. One of their favorite ways though, is just to come right out and say, yep, I did this, it happened. And, and by confessing and just saying, well, there's really no story anymore. Well, he said he did it and let's move on 24 hour news cycle. But that's not what we're doing when we confess our sins. We're not just trying to manage people's expectations and our reputations and people's images of us. That's not what this is all about at all. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, the Bible says that it is godly sorrow, godly sorrow in our hearts, in our minds that produces repentance. Confession is motivated by a broken heart that we just sang about a moment ago. The idea that I have hurt God, that I have hurt others, and I want to make things right as best I can. That's confession. Confession, what it is, secondly. Confession is not those things, so what is it, biblically? It is, in the first place, an honest acknowledgement of sin. Got your Bible, open up to Luke 15. Parable of the prodigal son. We taught this parable at summer camp a couple of weeks ago at Camp Bandina, and in my particular lesson on this, I made quite a point of talking to the young people about this because I think it gets overlooked, in my opinion, too often in, this, in the parable of the prodigal son. But the fact is that Jesus talks about the young man who goes into the far country and squanders his inheritance. He talks about how he comes back. And look at what happens in Luke 15, 18. I will arise, the young man says to himself, and I will go to my father and I will say to him, watch, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, Jesus thought that confession was important enough, important enough in his story to record not once, but twice. 
I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him what I've done and where my heart is and what, what I'm coming back for. That's what he purposes to do. And then in verse 21, when his father, you know, the, it's a beautiful story. The father loves his son and he runs and he kisses him and he hugs him. But look at what happens in verse 21. The son still has an opportunity to confess. He says to his father, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Jesus put that in the parable twice. Why? Because we need in healing relationships to honestly acknowledge what's happened between us. We need to spell it out and we need to repent and we need to ask for forgiveness. That's what confession is. It's saying the same thing about my sin that God and others already know. A dysfunctional family, John's definition, I am not a clinical psychologist or anything of the sort. A dysfunctional family is a family where there is an elephant in the room that we don't talk about. There is something going on. There's something that we just cannot address. We just cannot discuss. We cannot bring up because if we brought it up, you know, everybody get ashamed and embarrassed and there'd be all kinds of conflict. God does not have a dysfunctional family. When you look at Luke 15 verses 18 and 19, there is confession. There is a clearing of the air that takes place. And then in verse 21, there's a clearing of the air that actually happens. And that way, if the young man comes home to his father's house, he doesn't just move back in and take his room back over and not say anything to his dad and his brother and anybody else. The young man comes back and says, I've sinned. I messed up. I did wrong. And I need your forgiveness. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. Confession is an honest acknowledgement of sin that depends on the grace of God, by the way, because we know that our father really is like the father in Luke 15. Secondly, what confession is, brothers and sisters and friends, it is a pathway to genuine change. I wanna tell you something. Sin is like mold. It grows in dark places. It multiplies in dark places. And it has to be exposed to the light in order for there to be genuine, meaningful change. Just a couple of chapters over from where you are in Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the publican who both, both go down to pray, remember? The Pharisee is full of himself and prays that he's glad he's not like other men. And the publican, the tax collector, beats his breast and will, says, you know, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, it's that man who confessed his sin who found righteousness. It's that man who said he needed mercy who found righteousness. You wanna change, if there's a habit that you're struggling with, that there is a sin that you repeatedly, repeatedly commit and, and I, I need to do better and I know I need to do better, confession is a pathway to real change. One of the reasons why we struggle to change in our behaviors and our attitudes is because we don't always get as specific and as frequent in our confession of our sin to God and to those we hurt as we ought to. Third, what confession is, it is a means of grace. I love that phrase, means of grace. The Bible teaches that God is a God of grace and that he wants to shower blessings into our lives. And sometimes we prevent that from happening. For example, the Bible, brothers and sisters, is a means of grace. Acts 20 verse 32, it is the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. 
And when we refuse to open our Bibles and read our Bibles, we are depriving ourselves of some of the blessings that God intends for us. Think about that. Because the Bible's a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. God promises to hear and to answer prayer. And we deprive ourselves of blessings that God would give to us if we would just humbly come to him and petition him and ask him for what we need. Philippians 4 verse 6. But just as the Bible and just as prayer are means by which God showers his blessings into our lives, the same thing is true of confession. When we confess our sin to God, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, we read it a moment ago, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sin. Faithful, he always does it. When we confess our sin to God, he always forgives our sin. He's faithful and just, he is right to do it. He does it not because he's being merciful, but because of the blood that his son showered and poured out on our behalf. He is just. Yes, he's merciful and gracious and all those things, but the passage doesn't say that. It says he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin. God's grace comes into our lives and we are transformed and changed. And part of our problem is many times we struggle and we fail and we struggle again and we fail again and we've never gotten serious about confession. By the way, this is not going to eliminate all sin from everyone's life for all time. Don't have that expectation, but I will say this, you got a habit you're struggling with, you got something that that is kind of an addiction in your life that you're stuck with and I just can't get over this, I can't seem to get, get away from this. Confession is a means of grace. Go to those passages, study and meditate on those passages, you'll be amazed at what God can do if you'll follow and obey his word. Third, as we think about confession, When should we confess things publicly? When I was a younger boy, I remember very frequently in the churches where I was worshiping, I remember very frequently that there would be someone who would be overcome by a life that they'd been living that they wanted to repent of or, or something specific and acute that had happened in their, in their recent experience. But I remember very frequently that people used to come down the aisle and they would ask for the prayers of the church and they would confess sin. And, and sometimes they'd be very specific about what had been done. Sometimes they'd just say, I need prayers because I'm struggling. But I remember that happening a lot. And our culture has changed in some ways and people are not as quick to do that. I mean, we'll put everything out on Facebook, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell the church because you might have to look somebody in the eye. You know, we might have to say something face to face with people, I guess. I don't mean to be mocking in any way, shape or form. I just mean, we do say a lot of things out there publicly that maybe we wouldn't be comfortable saying in a setting like this, don't we? Having said all that though, it is right And it is good and it is healing for the church and for people who are guilty of sin to confess publicly. It is right. And there are some instances when we need to think about whether we ought to confess sin publicly. It's not something that happens as frequently now, but it's something that we might need to do. Here are five situations, five circumstances in which we might need to think about confessing sin publicly. Number one, If what I have done has been bringing reproach upon the name of Christ and upon his church, if I've done something that has sullied the name of Jesus in the community, or if I've done something or am doing something that people look and they say, can you believe that guy goes to the Katy Church of Christ? 
Don't, don't, do, they, do they allow that kind of thing to happen over there? When that's happening in my life, I need to say the same thing about my sin that God and others already know. Second circumstance, when we have created strife and division in the local church. There are some brethren who long ago needed to repent and confess that sin. I have been sowing discord among the people of God. I have been separating friends. I have been whispering and backbiting. I have been trying to separate and divide and I've been tearing the church up. There are people that need to confess that sin. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10 exhorts us to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment to all speak the same thing. But when somebody sows discord, that's one of the things God hates. Proverbs chapter six, verse 17. A third situation, a third circumstance. When our moral life has been an occasion of stumbling for others. You think about this. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, there was a man who had his father's wife. And the whole church knew about it. Everybody knew what was happening. And one of the things the Apostle Paul tells the church to do is to withdraw fellowship from this man because he says, you are purging the leaven. He's got an influence among the church. And there are others, there are young people growing up in the church at Corinth that think that that lifestyle must be okay because nobody's doing anything about it. He's certainly not saying it's a sin. Nobody's acknowledging this. When our moral life has been an occasion and we know that other people have been caused to stumble or have been influenced by the way we've lived, that may well be an occasion for public confession. Number four, when we have willfully refused to encourage the brethren by repeatedly forsaking the assembly, we are commanded to assemble as the people of God. Hebrews 10 verse 25. We are commanded to exhort one another daily while it is still called today. Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 13. We're commanded to be together in the assembly. There are people with health, obliga- health issues and other obligations like work and, and caring for someone in a long-term way who cannot be here. That's not what we have in mind. We are talking about people who are willfully and hard-heartedly refusing to come. It's just not that important to me. I'm just not interested. I'm just not all that dedicated. Those kinds of attitudes. That may well be a time. You know, sometimes people, and and, and I appreciate this, sometimes people who've been kind of out of duty for a while will come back and and they'll they'll say things like this to me. I know they say it to the elders sometimes. You know, we're, we're wanting to turn over a new leaf. And I'm so encouraged by that. When people say, you know, we've, we've been kind of not really attending faithfully and we, we just really want to turn over a new leaf, we want to start again, that's wonderful. But I'll tell you something, just listen to what I'm saying. I know it seems difficult, but confessing that to the whole church, not only is that good for you personally, because everybody knows that I'm turning over a new leaf, it's also good for the church because I guarantee there are others who are drifting and straying and they'll see your example and it can be encouraging. It's uplifting to those of us who are here. It's encouraging. Confession is good for the soul and it's good for the church. Number five, when should we confess publicly? When our conscience, which is guided by God's word, 
tells us we need to make things right before God and the church. There may be a circumstance that I've not listed, that I've not named, but your conscience says, you know, I've really been doing something and, and I need to talk to God and I need to make it known to others because I want forgiveness and I want their prayers. When our conscience guided by God's word tells us we need to make things right, maybe a, well, a good time to confess. This is not the Spanish Inquisition. This is not forcing people to say things that are not true. What confession is, is it's getting sin out in the open and it's allowing brothers and sisters and most of all, an all loving and an all merciful God to forgive. And isn't that what the community of Jesus, isn't that what the church of Christ is supposed to be all about? A body of people who are forgiven and therefore a body of people who forgive others. Confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Hope you'll think about this and I hope this will be something that you make a part of your daily life, your private life. And if you have questions about this, I would love to visit more with you, but I know our elders too. I'll just tell you this, our elders asked me to preach this lesson and I appreciate that because our elders are concerned. Not that people aren't confessing things publicly, that's not what they're concerned about. They're concerned about people's hearts and their attitudes and their souls. And they want all of us to be reminded that we need to come clean about sin. They want all of us to know that they love us and, and they want us to live holy lives, they want us to live sanctified lives and they want us to please God more than anything else. And I appreciate them asking me to preach this lesson. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation tonight, if we could help you obey the gospel, or if you need to respond and confess sin, if you'd like to ask for prayers, won't you make your need known tonight while together we stand and while we sing. Oh